0: We were in the last week of a series um, that has dealt with vision mapping, understanding what it is that God wants to do in a very purposeful and very specific way in the days to come in our lives. Now, you could just rock along and just live without vision, live without purpose, and just take each day. But you know what? If you do that, this time next year, you're going to be in the same place where you are right now. That may be okay with you. But I think God wants to lead you into some bigger, deeper, stronger, uh, even more joyful adventures of faith and of trust. And so we're going to talk about that today as we wrap up this series. I know it's the last last day of fall break, and some of you guys got to hit the classes tomorrow. And so this will be a good time, a good time for you to nail this down. And we've covered a lot of ground. And I realize when we put together series that... Some may apply to you where you are in your journey, right? You know, in this season or this history of your life more so than others. Uh, but I've really appreciated how many of you have either just in conversation or through emails have let me know about a specific vision that God has laid in your heart over the last several weeks. And I think that's really, really cool. And what I'm encouraging you to do and I challenge you is to not let go of that because the series is over and you think, well, we're not talking about vision anymore. Now we're going to talk about something different. And then we've got a missions conference coming up and then we've got Christmas. And so, you know, kind of put that in the rearview mirror. Please don't do that. If God has given you a vision or if you're on that path and you feel like he's, he's moving you in that direction, please stay alert, stay aware, continue to pray, continue to do that because God's going to do something amazing. And if the enemy can pull you off track, he's going to. He's going to so he can just keep you where you are and keep you kind of going where you're going. Now, you may be doing some really awesome things right now, and God bless you, man, I think that's, that's beautiful. And I know he is with some of you. I know that there's some really, some really, really great things going on in your life, but he's going to always put a new and a fresh and a bigger vision in front of you. So don't settle for less. Don't just live day to day, month to month, year to year, decade to decade. Uh, Be trusting that the Lord's got something he's going to do that's going to amaze you and people around you. Now, here's what I'm figuring out, at least in my life, and it's not really a recent thing. I've kind of started understanding this all the way back even in college, is that very little of value is going to come about in this world without somebody stepping up and taking a risk. God calls us to take risks. And I've used some stories. I'm going to use one today in a historical event that took place that kind of unfolds. And you think, oh, wow, God just really brings about these amazing victories. And He absolutely does. But I want you to know it's a risky thing. I'm not going to tell you that everything you're going to attempt and everything you're going to do, even those things that you've prayed about and that are kind of spiritual, it's always going to work out 100%, you know, and you're just going to go boom, boom, boom. This is so good. There is risk involved. Now, I can guarantee you that if you don't take risks and if you don't follow the vision that God gives you and if you don't pursue it, nothing's going to happen. I can guarantee you that part on that side. But I can tell you, if you if you follow him and you're willing to get risky. You're going to see so many things happen that you would have never seen. God is calling us out today, I think, to take risks that are going to bring him honor and show the world that our hope is not in power, it's not in politics, and it's not in money, it's in God. Now you can't avoid risk, right? I mean, everything is so risky, so you might as well face it head on. And you got to take the right kind of risk to get you to the right place. It's not risky just to be risky, you know, and and we all kind of know that, you know, that like Southern cliches, like here, hold my beer, you know, and you think, no, 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 no. watch this. And you think, no, I'm not talking about that kind of risk. Okay. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about following Jesus with passion and with purpose to see the thing that he has spoken to your heart about take place whatever it is next that's going to be woven into your story and it's and it's going to give this testimony this validity to who you say you are as one of his followers as a Christian because if there's nothing about your life that can't be explained outside of the resources that you have and the abilities and the skillfulness and the competency and the people you know and connections and all of that, if there's nothing about your life that can be explained outside of that context, then who's getting the glory? And are you really experiencing everything He has for you and for the people around you? There's a guy in the Old Testament that I've always liked, and I look forward to meeting him one day, and his name was Jonathan. He had a famous dad named Saul. He had a really, really good best friend named David. But in the beginning and and as his story is beginning to to happen, there was an event in his life where Jonathan was not content just to sit back in this stalemate kind of situation that that was going on. His faith in God's ability led him to take an action one day that involved an incredible amount of risk. And here's what the scripture says. In uh first Samuel fourteen six, that uh, it's something it's a quote of his that I think is just it's it's very Clint Eastwoodish, uh spiritually kind of an attitude in the old testament. It shows this guy's heart and just shows kind of where he is. It says this: It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few in just a moment I'll walk through that and kind of explain the context of why he said what he said God will call us to do things for his glory that are just risky but life is full of risk relationships are risky business is is risky. Investments are risky. Ministry has a lot of risk involved. Giving is risky. And the reason that some of you don't engage in any of those things, particularly I'm going to just call out the giving. Some of you don't give, or you give very little because it's very safe. You don't know, can I really trust him? And is this going to work out? Am I going to have enough at the end of the month? And so I'm I'm not going to give any of that away. Yeah. You know what? It's risky. But when risk is right, it's a response to something that God has asked us to do that's ultimately going to bring him so much glory. And it's going to give you this story to tell uh, that you'll tell for years and years. We activate faith when we're willing to take risks. Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith, it's impossible to please him. In the Greek, that really means if you don't have faith, it's impossible. (laughs) For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that He rewards people uh, who seek him. Let's look at this one risk of Jonathan's, um, and he he did lots of things, and so did a lot of other people whose stories are are told here, and maybe people you know and and, and in your own life, you've seen that. but let's just we're going to focus on on his story today, and uh, here's how it began in First Samuel 14 in the first verse, it says this: "Now it happened one day, and I'm using that version just for that one little phrase because I like the way that rolls out. It happened one day." Uh, that to, that um, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the Philistines garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. Now, I'm not going to get hung up about that because I don't know whether he didn't tell him because he's keeping it secret. Or he just made a note. Oh, I didn't. T- I forgot to tell my dad about this or you know what? I didn't want to get the glory. I didn't want everybody to think I'm showing off, I and mean, he's my dad, and he's the big guy. So I just didn't tell him. About, I didn't bring him in the loop on this. Whatever reason, we're going we're gonna to not spend a lot of time on that. But he didn't tell his dad. Uh, and, and, but it makes a note here that says, And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in uh, migrant. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitab. Uh, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. Isn't this amazing, the detailed historical detail that's included here? Uh, he said he was wearing an ephod, and that's what the priest wore. Um, but the people, they didn't know that Jonathan was gone. They didn't know. Nobody missed him yet, because there's a lot of people around, and it's kind of like your kids. You know, you look around and think, where did you know what? I don't know where he is. We left one of one of my, I think we've left all of our children at some point <laughs> um, here, and they always find their way. No, I'm just kidding. But um, we left our youngest son here, and we didn't know. I thought Kathy had him, and she thought I had him. We got home, and he's like, ah! you know, we're kind of freaking out. He's freaking out, thinking I've got to live at church now, um, and this is my new home, and there's not much downstairs in the kitchen. So You know, and we've we've all kind of done that. With Jonathan's nowhere to be, you know, nobody really uh, sees that he's gone. Uh, And then here's this phrase again, because I just like saying this. It happened one day. Doesn't that sound like something that Lewis or Tolkien or somebody would write to begin this adventure, this story? At the beginning, there was nothing about that day that indicated it was going to be unusual in any way. It began... As an ordinary day, Jonathan, nobody knew it was going to be remarkable, but it would. And on this day, God was going to win a great victory through the bold trust of Jonathan. You you got up today and it's just an ordinary day. It's another Sunday. I love Sundays. Tomorrow you're going to get up and it's going to be an ordinary Monday. And I don't know what you're expecting But I know this, it could be that it's not going to be just an ordinary day. And I hope that you would just even begin to make it a habit going, God, today may just, by the end of the day, and I'm standing here at this mirror again, I'm brushing my teeth, I'm getting ready for bed, and nothing really remarkable happened. But I hope you'd leave room for something extraordinary to take place tomorrow and today. And every day, just get up and go, God, I don't know, you may do something really, really cool today that I don't see coming right now. And I just want you to know, I'm ready, and I'm available, and I'm going to lean into it. I'm going to be watching for it, just in case. Jonathan got up, and he just says, it happened on that day. You know, Urban Meyer once said, no, wait, I'm so sorry, my bad, my bad. No, it was F.B. Meyer, the theologian. (laughs) F.B. Meyer said once uh, this thing, God is ever on the outlook for believing souls who will receive his power and his grace on the one hand and transmit them on the other. He chooses them that by them he should make his mighty power known. That's what God wants to do. So it happened one day that Jonathan was there and he was with his armor bearer. And and scripture says, he said to the young man who bore his armor. Now, every officer in the Israeli army had an assistant. And they just called these guys armor bearers because one of their tasks, one of the most important things they did is they kept up with all the weapons. Now, those things that they had to fight with and to do battle with and to protect themselves with were very expensive, very valuable and rare, and not everybody could afford it. Not everybody had those things. So it was a big deal just to keep up with that and to keep it in good condition and all of that. But he also would help with that officer in the fighting and the administration of the army. Uh, There were a lot of things that went along with that. He didn't just carry around all this valuable armor and weapons for the officer, Uh, although that was kind of their title, armor bearers in ancient times had to be unusually brave and loyal. When they filled out the resume, when they came in for the job interview, when they were being groomed for this position, those were the two attributes that they looked for in these young men. They had to be brave and they had to be loyal because the lives of their masters depended on on them. So God would raise up these armor bearers, uh, for like this one for Jonathan. There was another one that was pretty famous who was an armor bearer for Saul, a young man named David. You know what? You need, if this, whatever this vision that God has placed in your heart and, and in your life right now. And you've kind of done, and a couple of you I've had conversations with, you said, you know, I really hadn't told anybody. And so, you see, the Israelis, they were in this military conflict, and it was huge, and they weren't doing so well. Sort of like playing another team. And by all outward appearances, this was going to be impossible. They were vastly outnumbered. They were greatly surpassed in military technology. A lot of their players were injured. Jonathan is bold enough to go over to the Philistine garrison garrison just to see what God might do. And didn't you just love this guy? Hey, let's go over there. Let's go into their camp. Let's see what God might do with that. Because and he didn't do it flippantly or easily. God had given him a vision. A victory. And I wonder in my imagination, I pictured Jonathan awake the night before and he's troubled. He's kind of mad. He's offended and perhaps even outraged, which is an overused word. You know how everybody gets outraged now about whatever. And I think, are you really? I don't think so. Um, but he was. He's so upset about the way that it just seemed hopeless and all the people were just waiting around for this doom and gloom situation to kind of un, be unpacked in front of them. And, and they were discouraged, were whipped. Uh, it was just a, it was a sad, sad day, even coming out of the locker room. These guys, they didn't want to fight, and they thought, we're beaten already. Well, Jonathan thought about that. And, I, and like I say, in my mind, I just see him waking up all during the night thinking, that's not right. That's not right. And he considered... You know what, there's no way, I just can't accept there's any way that God has brought us this far to forsake Israel now. I mean, really, we've come through all of these things, and and, and at this moment, at this place, God's gonna say, ah, I'm sorry, but you know, I, I got you through, you know, the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Moabites and all of this, but these Philistines, uh, oh, sorry, this is where you end. He would not accept that. And I don't want you to accept whatever you see in front of you and you think this is the end of things. And I don't know what you're facing. Maybe it's an illness. Maybe it's a divorce. Maybe it's a breakup. Maybe you don't know when you walk in tomorrow if you're still going to have the job that you have and you don't know what's going to happen If that goes away, I don't know what's in front of you, but I know this. God's not done with you, and your story's not over, and he didn't take you through everything he's already taken you through for this to be the end of it. And that was Jonathan's attitude. He goes, yeah, you know what? The odds are incredible, and they're against us, but God's greater than the odds. God's promised to do great things. When God gives you a vision and God gives you a promise, don't give up yet. Don't let go of it yet because it's going to get tough because it probably will. I want you to see the contrast in this. It says that while this is all going on with Jonathan, Saul was sitting. Just, just, let that, the contradiction of it. Here's this bold, brave, famous king sitting under a pomegranate tree doing nothing, while his son boldly goes over to the Philistine garrison. Saul's not coming up with plans. He doesn't seem to be praying. He doesn't seem to be doing anything but just kind of sitting around. And there he sits, and he's got with him this priest, because it mentions he's wearing this ephod. And, and what that is, it's this garment that he's sort of like the army chaplain, and he's hanging out with Saul, and they're just, they're just sitting back. John is like, you know what, I'm not going to sit back. He's bravely trusting God, and he moves forward. And in this next verse, uh, let me just read the next couple of verses, verse 4 and 5 for you, because in it, it shows that that Jonathan seeks out a strategic uh, position and a place. He begins to let this unfold. I mean, if he had a computer, he'd be. There. if he had a, a tablet in front of him or a legal pad, he would be drawing X and O's, and he'd be writing, and he'd be making arrows, and he'd go, you know what, I think I see something here in the geography. Check this out. It says this, In the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was Bozaz, and the name of the other, Sena. The front of one faced northward opposite uh, Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. Go back and listen to this. Between the passes, there was a sharp rock on one side, and there was a sharp rock on the other. These are actually still there today. So on his way to the Philistine garrison, Jonathan sees something that any military man would notice. He sees a strategic position, a narrow path through a pass with these large sharp rocks on either side. And his mind begins to click and to turn. And he thinks, this would be a perfect place. A few men could easily fight against a much larger number at this strategic place. I was reading a story of how um, Allied forces during World War II were trapped in a specific area and the Nazis were in this other place and And it looked like certain defeat, they were outnumbered, they were outgunned. Same kind of a deal where the technology was beyond them. And one of the soldiers, one of just the rank soldiers, went to his commanding officer and he said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but I'm a Christian and I've been reading scripture. And I just read this story about Jonathan. And he read this exact story. This really happened. And he said, I think we ought to do this. Because there's a place up here, there was a specific place that geographically was very similar. You know what? They did, and they were victorious. I and mean, they used this same strategy. It was very solid. Very, you know, it, it works. So he needs. A, you need a strategy. You need a plan. Look at Jonathan, this bold proposal that he makes. Uh, in verse 6 it says, Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, come with me. Let us go over the garrison of these uncircumcised. He just gets in a little, you know, insult there. Uh, It may be that the Lord will work for us. I think he's going to. And it's not this iffy, I don't know, God might do something. Let's just try it out. It wasn't said with that kind of attitude. Because he comes right back and he says, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. That's not the issue. It doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't, how many, you know, Guys, we have how many guys? What what kind of weapons they're using and what we're using? He said, "It's really not about that. It really comes all back down to the to the Lord." So his armor bearer, and I love this. I let this is the kind of armor bearer you need. He said to him, "Do all that is in your heart. Go then. Here I am with you, according to your heart." I underlined that. I highlighted that. Here I am with you. Jonathan knew that the need was great. He wouldn't get a second chance. This is not a, you know, if it, if it doesn't work, well, it's a do-over. No, he's, he's done. He'll be killed if this doesn't work. Um, and for the king's son to be killed in this reckless-looking kind of an attempt in this battle, when they're already hopelessly outnumbered and morale is low, Do you know what would happen emotionally? Do you know know how they would? But God was doing something different, and Jonathan knew God wants to use somebody to do this. His father, Saul, just wanted to sit under a pomegranate tree. Something had to be done. It was time for somebody to do something, and Jonathan was willing to be that guy. He was willing to be used by the Lord to do it because Jonathan knew That the way God works, not every time, but I would say the great majority of the time, when God wants to do something, whether it's in your high school or your family, or on your college campus, on your floor, in your dorm, at your business, in your home, in your neighborhood, when God wants to move, do you know how he typically goes forward? It's with a person. He gives a vision to a person. And then it goes to a group of people. Do you know that this church, for those of you who are guests today, this church is over 100 years old? And just a, a few miles from here at Circle Park on campus, there was a Bible study that was meeting there on the University of Tennessee campus. And somebody one morning, it's like a Sunday school class, and somebody one morning said this, I think God wants to start a ministry to West Knoxville. The city didn't even go as far as Bearden Hill, if you're familiar with this town. That was the edge of the, You were getting in the boonies. You were in the country, you know, when you got that far and beyond. I said, I think God wants to start a church to reach this area. So they built and started meeting and later became the Calvary Baptist Church. And the rock that gets painted, you know, all the time, every week, that was, that was underneath. That was in the foundation, in like the basement of the church. And that was on the outskirts. And that's where we started because somebody had a vision. And 100 years later, we're still seeing God reach the university campus in this city. We've got ministries spread out on the world. And I was thinking about how many of our families and how many of our people have been called out and today are in countries literally all over the globe. Because somebody spoke up one Sunday morning on an ordinary day and said, I think God wants to do something bigger, and I have a vision for that. Jonathan knew that God works through people. Now, he could have just sat back and prayed about it, and this has been my hiding place sometimes when God's like, you know, I really appreciate you praying, that's great, but it's time to stop praying, or not to stop, but to go on. He prayed, God, I want you to rain down fire from heaven on these Philistines. And we're just going to sit back and watch that. And if you could take care of it, you know, we appreciate you, Lord. He didn't pray like that. Jonathan knew that God usually uses the bold action and obedient spirit in this fighting attitude of his people. Now, many people in Israel, I think, probably believed that as a theological truth, just like a lot of us in here today but few believed it enough to get up and do something. Jonathan's faith was demonstrated by his works. He said God's power is never restrained, but his will may be restrained by our unbelief. Do you remember once when Jesus was in a region and they said, but he didn't do a lot of work there because of their unbelief? He may choose not to act until we partner with him in trust, until we're willing to take the risk. God found a trusting partner in Jonathan. When he finds somebody like that, this armor bearer, I don't even know this guy's name. Pretty sure it was Charlie. And he said, go then, here I am with you. You know how good it feels when you've just got one friend, one person that believes in you, one person that says, I think you can do this. Somebody who who will step up. That must have just cheered Jonathan's heart. Because when we step out in faith, encouragement can make all the difference in the world. And discouragement can make all the difference in the world for evil in the opposite way. So if God's calling you, you know, there's times you'll be a Jonathan. There's times you'll be an armor bearer. When somebody with you or that you know trusts you enough to share their vision with you, don't knock it down until you've prayed about it too. Particularly, parents, if it's one of your children. If they come to you and they've got an idea or there's something they want to do, be careful before you discourage them too much. Lift them up. Lift them up and encourage them. You know, one of our students who is away at college right now had this idea to reach out to the Vestal community and, you know, to begin to just gather backpacks for children. And you see it every year, it's on the news now, and it it grew from this tiny little thing of just a few of us gathering that and taking them over there, and now it's, it's becoming this bigger ministry where you and I and she are making a difference, because somebody encouraged her and said, "'t't don't, 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 don't not do that or think about doing that. You're just a high school student. She was just a high school student. Nobody said, "Look, you're in high school. What, do you, what difference are you going to make?" No." He encouraged people. I love this armor bearer. He said, you know what? I just want to encourage. I'm with you. I'm, I'm going with you. God's going to use Jonathan, but he's not going to use him alone. Almost always when God uses a person, he calls other people around that man or woman to support and to help them. And they are just as important as getting God's work done as the man that God uses. I've been both of these several times in my life. I've been an armor bearer and I've been a Jonathan. So until you are a Jonathan, until you're at that place, then find one. Find a Jonathan, attach yourself to him or her, uh, and and believe in him. So then it happens. Jonathan and his armor bearer are just audacious. They had the audacity to attack the Philistines. Listen to this. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, and this is kind of mocking, look, the Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they've hidden. And then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer, and he said, come up to us and we'll show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. See how confident he is? And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees until his arm and with his armor bearer coming right after him, and they fell before Jonathan. Now, armor bearer didn't say, Okay, I'm gonna stay here and pray and kind of keep an eye on things. Let me know how it goes. Or, you know, text me. No, he said, I'm right behind you. So they go up together. And then it says, They fell before them. And as he came after him, his armor bearer killed them. They had this this thing going, this method, this they figured out this way to do this. That first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about twenty men within about half an acre. So in the space of your yard, where your house is, in about the space like of this little area right here, he and He and his armor bearer figure out this way to do this, and they take out about 20 guys. And then it says, you know, here's what it says. Look, he says, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they've hidden. This is a time of crisis, and the Israelites, they're hiding out anywhere they can. I mean, things are falling apart. Everything's coming undone. The wheels are off. And it was reasonable that the Philistines would think uh, that those are Hebrew deserters. And they're surrendering. They're sneaking over to our side. They think, well, this is better than hiding in a hole or better than get killed tomorrow. So we're going to come over and just... And that's what they think. So they don't really do anything. They don't shoot at them. And Jonathan and his armor bearer, they climb up and they, they get close to him. And then it says, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into our hands. He says, this, this battle's over. This is done. Do you know what an exciting moment that must have been for Jonathan? He has this bold heart, and he has this trust in the Lord, and it's been affirmed in several ways for him, and he knew God's going to do something great. And even though he knew that, look what happens next. He says, Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armor bearers. This was a difficult climb. Jonathan was not the kind to say, well... Wow, we were so close, and it'd be really, really nice if we could do that. But look at those rocks; they're so steep and so hot. I'm so tired. I'm kind of thirsty. It hurts my hands, and we'll have to, you know. There's a lot of Philistines up there. I mean, look at them. Let's stay here and let's pray. Now you know what he did. He got on his hands and knees, and he starts climbing. If you really want to see your vision come to life, if you really want victory, if you really want to be used by God, there are times when it's easy, but I can tell you, you're not going to be used very much if you're not willing to get dirty, if you're not willing to get tired and banged up and beat up a little bit. But you will see victory. Right after that, it says, and they fell before Jonathan. Jonathan knew that was going to happen. He knew this battle's the Lord's. He knew that God's going to use him in this fight. And when Jonathan saw God's, this confirming sign of the Lord, and that, he said, okay, that's our green light, let's go. He didn't lay down his sword and start praying that, you know, God now, would you strike them down and we'll just sit back and watch. No, he prayed. He made sure that his sword was sharp, that everything was ready, and he trusted God. It's going to use him to strike them down. It says next that this there was trembling in the camp and in the field and all among the people. It seems that the, the, these Philistines, they were just confused. I mean, they they, in, they instantly woke up and it's early morning and the thought, we're being attacked by all of our enemies and we're in the midst of the, what's going on. We don't know. Grab something. And they run out and there's 20 dead guys have been killed. They're going, oh no, we're we are being slaughtered. And they begin to turn on each other and you know this is a phenomenon that I read about in battle that sometimes happen where somebody panics and then that panic begins to spread and people will begin i read of one account in the civil war where soldiers began firing on themselves they began shooting each other and the same thing happened that happens in battle sometimes so these philistines began to kill each other so it doesn't matter that the Philistines greatly outnumbered the Israel. It didn't matter that they had better weapons. God was going to do something that nobody counted on. He set the Philistines fighting against each other. So what if we don't have swords? Well, the Lord will just use their swords against themselves. It says the earth quaked so that it began to tremble. Now, you remember last week when I said, you know, and we I used that thing of, Um, using like a legal pad or something and writing my part on one side and God's part on the other and drawing a line down it. And then just write, if this vision is going to come about, this is everything that I've got to do. And there's some things I just can't do. And if these things don't happen, this is not going to work. That's God's part. And I hope you did that. And if you hadn't done it yet, do that little exercise. What is my part? What is God's part? You see, Jonathan's part, he, could, he said, you know what? I can sharpen my sword. I can pick a strategic place. I've got a plan. I can crawl on my hands and knees up there. I'm ready to fight. But that's not going to get it done. God's going to have to come through for us. So Jonathan and his armor bearer, they had done their part. Now God is doing his part. Jonathan could use his heart and sword, and he did. But what Jonathan could not do, send an earthquake to terrify Philistines, God said, you know what, I can do that. Sometimes we wait around for God to do what we can do. But God will do what he alone can do if, in Christ, we will do what we can do. I'm encouraging you to not sit around. I'm encouraging to not just keep praying again and again and again. And when you've got the vision, God's going to begin to show you how to go forward. Now, later in the story, and this story goes on, and I'm not going to deal with everything that happened after this. It was a great victory, but then Saul made a foolish vow and he messed up and he kind of took control of the situation and it started going south. But it was a great day. And later in the story it says, so the Lord saved Israel that day. I mean, God really used Jonathan, but it's not Jonathan's victory. It's not even Jonathan's story. This is the Lord's story. This is the Lord's victory. God was just waiting for someone with the bold trust, a guy like Jonathan, would step out and take a risk. Josephus, a Jewish historian, says that there were, in this particular battle, 6,000 Philistines who were killed, and that it was a rout. It was incredible, incredibly risky, but Jonathan had this vision of what God wanted to do. And we've taken the last several weeks, and we've sort of walked through the methodology or how it is that God begins to plant a vision in your heart and in your life and your imagination, and then the flow of that, what happens after it. And so I'm going to use Jonathan as an illustration to remind you of sort of those steps of the way this might play out in your life. So first of all, he prayed. So that he got himself spiritually ready. So before you look at your bank account and before you think about how many people will go in with me on this and how, how is this going to work, before you do all that, get yourself in a place where you're spiritually ready. And that means probably you're going to have to deal with some kind of a, if there's a known sin in your life and you're just tolerating that, if there's some kind of an habitual habit or a thing, something, you got to deal with that first. So be spiritually ready and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready. Speak your vision to me. Then the next thing he did is he got that vision. He got a clear vision, a direction from God. Now he knows. Here's the big picture. And I encouraged you, be able to write that out in a sentence. I began to do this, and as is my custom, I filled up a page. And I got that page down to a paragraph. And then I got that down to two or three sentences. And I just, I just thought, Lord, I can't get it any tighter than that. This is it. God's like, yeah, keep working on it. Get it down to a phrase or a sentence. You've got a vision. You've got the big idea. And the next thing Jonathan did is, in his belief, he sharpened his sword. He prepared. So do whatever you got to do to start preparing. If God calls you to the mission field, God, you know, you, you have this vision. God, I think you want me to, to go to this place. You need to prepare. You need to sharpen your sword. You need to start learning Chinese or Spanish or Italian or whatever it is. You know, you need to start studying this. You need to start doing that. God began to put in my heart a vision of of being in ministry and some specific things surrounding that. And I had a real clear vision about that. And I remember going to a guy who was a pastor, and I said, you know what, this is crazy. i just, this is not me, and I'm going to just, and he became an armor bearer for me. And I said, I think God's calling me into ministry. He said, if God's calling you to ministry, and he knew I hadn't gone to church in years. I didn't even know the Bible stories. I sure didn't know a lot about right and wrong, and I just didn't know. I didn't have anything. He asked me to preach one Wednesday night, and so I said, I'm just going to shoot both barrels. I'm going to say everything I know about Jesus, everything I know about God, everything I know about the Bible. It took me less than 15 minutes. I was done. <laughs> Don't you wish I was still there? You're thinking, oh, we'd love you to go 15 minutes. Um uh, but you know what? That was it. He said, "If God's calling you to do this, He's calling you to, to, to study." And he drove me to a Christian university where I enrolled. And it would have been easier to stay where I was. I mean, this, and it was risky because I was so broke. It was just financially, it was, it was just terribly risky. And I'll never forget telling my dad when I came home and I, and I said, "I'm going to this college." He goes, "What about your job?" I said, "I'm going to quit my job." He goes, "Are you crazy?" He said, "This is just, what are you doing?" I said, I know it's risky, and I know I'm giving this, and I know, but I feel like God wants me to take that next step. you got to prepare. It may happen right away, but probably you're going to have to prepare. Jonathan prepared. And then he developed a strategy. As he began to lean into this vision, he noticed these two sharp rocks, and he noticed this little skinny place, and he noticed, you know what? We could do this and this. He, he, he had a specific path to take him forward. And then, because a lot of us stop right there, he executed it. He just did it. He had the plan. He knew what he was up against. He knew his part. He knew God's part. He, he's ready to go forward. I really believe that for some of you in this room, it's time to do it. What is? I don't know what it is. I don't know what your vision is few of you have shared with that with me, but I think it's time to do it. What is it? What are you going to do? What are you going to do next? You know, there's a phrase we say sometimes, go big or go home. I think the Holy Spirit's telling you, some of you, to do that today. I said that this morning in front of Kevin. He said, well, that's kind of what they did. <laughs> They went big and now they've gone home. <laughs> I said, That's not what I meant. I think God's ready for some of you to step out. There's, there's a Latin phrase, and I, I can't say it off the top of, top of my head, but in English it, it, it means this fortune favors those who are bold. Fortune favors the bold. Are you ready to take a risk? Here's a great scripture for you. If you're ready, if you're ready, here's a great scripture. It's Zechariah 4.10. 10. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation because it just reads so good. Do not despise those small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. I think this afternoon, tomorrow, this week, it's time for the work to begin even if it feels small if your vision i mean god may have said my vision for you is to lose 50 pounds don't go out and try to run a half marathon tomorrow but you can walk a mile and you can skip dessert <laughs> don't despise the day of small beginnings